and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hello, I'm Pat Malone, and I'd like to welcome you to The Church in the Home, where we share the light of God's Word from our home to you. I know the truth of God's Word, and I believe what I heard, yeah, yeah. I believe what I heard. I believe what I heard, so I'm standing on the Word of God. Have you ever read about one of the great miracles in the Bible and thought to yourself, I'd like to do that? Yeah. Have you ever read about one of the great men of God that did these miracles and think, I'd like to be more like him? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have the ability to do that. Every born-again believer receives that gift of Holy Spirit. And that gift of Holy Spirit is the same Spirit of God that they had that allowed them to do the great things. We have everything that Peter and John had when they went into the temple, the temple gate beautiful, and said to that man, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And they lifted up the man, and there he jumped and leaped and praised God. We have that ability. We have the ability, the same ability, to do the things that the mighty prophet Elijah did. The mighty prophet Elijah, these men that raised people from the dead, these men that did these great miracles, we have the power to do that. So you may wonder then, If I've got the ability, if I have the power, how can I live it bigger? How can I live that greater? There's a wonderful, intriguing, informational statement made in a class that many of us have taken called Power for Abundant Living, where the teacher of that class, Dr. Victor Paul Wuerl, said, spiritual weakness and spiritual inability can only be due to improper diet or the neglect of the Word of God. Spiritual weakness or spiritual inability. If you ever feel like you're not able to do it, that you're not spiritually strong enough, that you don't have the strength spiritually to get the job done, the cause is either improper diet of the Word of God or neglect of the Word of God. Those two things. Look at Matthew chapter 4. It's either that people aren't simply eating it, the bread of life, or they're not getting the right food. In Matthew chapter 4, in verse 1, it says, Then would Jesus let up to of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hungry. Yeah, I'd say after 40 days of not eating, you'd get pretty hungry, right? You know, right now, a lot of people are into intermittent fasting. I I haven't heard that 40 days was like how long you're supposed to go. I went a solid week once without eating anything, and, and I was pretty hungry. Jesus Christ went 40 days and 40 nights. Verse 3. And when the tempter came to him, he said, 
If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. You know, that certainly was a big temptation for Jesus Christ at that moment. If you're the Son of God, turn those stones into bread. You can have as much as much to eat as you want. Verse 4, But he, Jesus, answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Quite an answer. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The word of God. The word of God is that food for our soul life. Man is body, soul, and spirit, if he's born again. Otherwise, he's just body and soul. And the soul, the soul is our, what, what makes us us. It's, it's breath life. It's in the blood. Your mind is in the category of soul life. And what you need for your mind, for your soul life, is every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's the food. That's the food that enables us to be strong, to be strong mentally so that we can be strong spiritually. Look at Job chapter 23. Just as important to the physical body as physical food is, the Word of God is that important for our spiritual life, for our soul life. The Word of God is what sustains us. And Jesus Christ, when given the choice, made the point that even greater than the physical food was that Word of God. Here, Job says, and, and think about, again, who's, who's saying this, Job. And he's saying this when he's as miserable as anybody could possibly be. When everything, you want to say, well, everything's gone wrong. Oh, really? Read, read Job chapter 1, and then you can tell me if, if really everything has gone wrong, because I'll bet you it doesn't compare. Everything that he valued was gone. Every, all of his property, his family, everything was wiped out in a day. And on top of that, he was afflicted with this terrible, terrible, painful disease. And yet, even at that time, he could say in Job 23, verse 12, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips, from God's word. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job, in all of his misery, said he considered God's words more necessary than food. More important, he esteemed that greater than the food that he was eating. Most people aren't willing to go too long without eating. You know, you're not willing to miss too many meals. And yet, people sometimes can go. Some people never pick up a Bible. You know, they neglect it altogether. And others that at least have some relationship with the book, go far too long without reading it. But never, never should a day go by that we wouldn't be reading God's Word, mm-hmm. that we wouldn't put that on, that we wouldn't 
spend our days taking time each day to read the Bible and then spend time to really study it, to not just read for enjoyment, but also to study it and to work it. And both are so necessary to our spiritual life and to our strength. I once had somebody say to me, you know, why do you have to read it every day? Isn't there a point where you know it? You know, you know what it says? And when you think about it compared to other things, I guess that makes sense, you know? I don't every day. My, one of my favorite books, perhaps my favorite book, is To Kill a Mockingbird, but I don't read it every day. You know, I don't read a biography of George Washington over and over and over again. So why is it that we should read the Bible every single day? even when you feel like you know it well. Because it's that life. It's that life. Look at John chapter 6. It's not like just another book. It's not like other knowledge that you acquire and then you're good to go. <laughs> you know? If you learn how to fix a car and until they change things, you're good to go. You may need to update that knowledge occasionally, but you're good to go. Some things, you know, they don't change. They, they just don't change, you know. But the Bible's not in that category. It's not like any other book. In John 6, it says, It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are what? Life. These words, the words in this book are spirit and they're life. They do something for us when we read them. They do something for us. They give us that nutrition. Has everybody in this room at some time in your life eaten a steak? Yes. Okay. Now stop and think for a second. Can you picture what a steak looks like? I'll bet you, you can picture that so vividly if you put your mind to it. That you, boy, you remember just how it smells. And you can remember just how it tastes, right? Are you deriving any nutritional value out of that memory? No, no none whatsoever. Knowing what the book says is not enough. If it's going to profit me, if it's going to be a benefit, it has to continue to be put into my mind. Not just somewhere in the back of that mind, but where those words are coming in and they're healing and they're causing me to grow. Look at Jeremiah 15. We don't want to neglect the Word of God. We don't want to starve ourselves. You can, you can fast from food all you want. You probably won't overdo that one. But you don't ever want to skip a meal from God's Word. Jeremiah 15 says, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. You know, and it doesn't mean he literally ate the book. But because it is that bread of life, thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. That word was the joy and rejoicing of his heart. And Rejoicing is when you experience joy again. That's rejoicing, you know, Pete and repeat, you know. Pete fell in the well, who was left? Repeat. 
It's the rejoicing. It's the rejoicing. No matter how many times you read it, no matter how well you know it, each and every time it can be that rejoicing of your heart. Look at Psalm 119. Psalm 119. And verse 162. Psalm 119, 162 says, I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. He rejoiced like one that found great spoil. Found great spoil. Great riches. Spoil is riches. You know, not spoil like, you know, oh, I found spoiled food. But spoil, you know, the old meaning of that great riches, great treasures of truth. That's how he rejoiced, as one that would find that. If you're on your way home today and, you know, you're, you're you know, walking down the street and, and, boy, there, just laying in the road is, you know, hundreds of dollars. No wallet, no, you can't figure out who this, but just hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And, you know, you may try to find, do something to try to find it. But, you know, you probably, if, if that ended up coming to you, be happy, right? If, you know, we've always lived in these old houses, and every time we've moved into one of these old houses, my wife always is, you know, wanting to pull up floorboards to see if maybe there's something <laughs> hidden in there that somebody tucked away. And if that ever had happened where, you know, we actually, I think she found $5 or something like that. 50 Oh, well, she, great spoil, 50 bucks. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> But suppose it was more than 50. Suppose it was, you know, five, fifty thousand dollars Boy, you'd be really happy, right? But so much greater is God's word because that money, you know, you'll figure out how to spend that real darn fast and it'll be gone. But the word of God, that's for a lifetime. That's for a lifetime and beyond because it's for eternal life. Turn to Proverbs chapter 2. How do you get to that point where you do continue to rejoice in the Word in that way? Where it is, each time you come to it, exciting and fresh. Where each time you come to it, you're learning something new. Which each time that you hear it taught, it's something more that you're seeing in it. How do you get to that place? You know how? When you're going over familiar ground, when you're going over ground that you've already covered, the way to continue to find great treasures is to dig deeper. Mm -hmm. That's how you do it. You dig deeper. You just continue to dig deeper. Look at Proverbs chapter 2. Verse 1. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding, Yea, if thou criest after knowledge, and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver, and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. If you search for it, if you dig for it, if you dig deep to continue to find those deep treasures, you know, when people's first, um, let's take the California gold rush, you know, Sutter's Mill. When they first came upon gold, there they were, and they just pan, were panning in the water, and they found the gold nuggets, right? 
And initially, if you wanted gold, all you had to do was, you know, get a pan and shake out the water, scoop up some water and rocks and shake it, and you'd find gold nuggets. But after a while, if you wanted to continue to find gold, you had to actually start digging in the earth. The nuggets were on top. That was easy. But boy, if you want to continue to get to the real rich vein, you got to dig deeper. And the deeper you dig, the greater the vein of gold there is. So it is with God's Word. The deeper we dig into it, the more we seek it, the more we're willing to apply ourselves, to take some effort, to put some effort into it, the more we get out of it. That's where the study comes in. You know, reading the Bible, it's just kind of like enjoying those gold nuggets. But the study, where you really sit down and learn how to study God's Word, and you really work it, that's where you dig deep, and that's where you begin to find the great treasures that are in there. It takes effort. But boy, think about the effort, the time, the energy, the expense that we've all had to, whether we wanted to or not, placed on acquiring the knowledge of this world. How much have we dedicated to that? Mm-hmm. You know, years, years and years and years. If you if you made it through high school, you got at least twelve there. If you went beyond that, and if you went beyond that, you know, if you did it up until a year ago, it had to cost you something. <laughs> all the effort, all the time, all the years to learn about mathematics, and you know, all those things that. It's a wonder I can even think at all. (laughs) Isn't God's Word, isn't the knowledge that's in here worth so much more of our time and effort and expense? Isn't it worth our dedicating ourselves to it? Certainly it is. The reward is far, far greater. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. You know, before fellowship started, I was talking about my aunt who just turned 100 and all of the things she's seen in her life and and one of those categories being all the changing inventions. You know, think about that. Things like the inventions of the past couple of hundred years will go back even, okay? You know, the automobile, airplanes, communications, phones, computers, televisions, radios, breakthroughs in medicine, all these different things, right? All of that that's been invented, all of that that's been utilized, all of those things that have changed our lives, all of that was drawing from resources that have been in the earth since the earth was formed. It's always been there. It's always been there. And it's only been the last couple hundred years and all the thousands of years of man living on this place before that, that those things were discovered and used. Do you think that a fellow three, four hundred years ago thought, you know, I'll bet you somewhere in that ground there's something that could make it so that instead of walking to town, I could just get in some contraption and and be there in no time at all. That there's something that would enable me to fly through the... No! (laughs) but it was always there. But they didn't dig deep enough. They didn't, but boy, the more they began to examine, the closer they looked at everything, the more they saw was there. 
Well, besides not neglecting the Word of God, the other category is improper diet that causes spiritual weakness or spiritual inability. Improper diet. And that means that you're eating, but you're just not eating the right stuff. Mm. You know, We need food, physical food, to live. I love candy. I love candy. How healthy will I be if I only eat candy? Not very. I probably won't even live that long if I only eat candy, right? Because that's improper food. It may taste good, but it's not good for me. It's improper food. When it comes to the Word of God, it's not just enough to not neglect it, but we have to have a healthy diet. We have to have that word that's going to be healthy. Because if it's the word of God wrongly used, if it's an improper usage of it, then it's not going to do me any good. And you can have an improper usage in a couple of ways. First of all, you can have an improper usage because you don't understand it right, or you've been taught wrong. If somebody's taught that it's God's will for them to be sick, then that's an improper usage of the Word of God, and they're going to be spiritually weak and unable because of that. There's lots of things that people are taught that they say is God's will that is not God's will. There's lots of things that people are taught about God that are totally wrong. People are taught that God will make people sick or that God's responsible for somebody dying or all these things, and all of that is, is certainly going to hurt us, a lot more than candy to me. But you can also have an improper usage by the wrong application of truth. We read a verse not long ago out of, out of Job. You know, those miserable comforters of Job, they were telling him all kinds of things that if you read them and don't think about much more, it sounds like, well, yeah, that sounds right, that sounds right but it wasn't right in Job's situation. That's another way that you can wrongly have the Word of God in your life. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it tells us what this Word of God can do for us, though. In verse 16, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, which is literally God-breathed. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, or right living, that the man of God may be perfect, throughly furnished unto all good works. Throughly perfected unto all good works. The purpose of the Word of God, the purpose of the Bible, is though so that we could be complete, so that we could be completely complete, so that we could be perfected, so that we could have everything that we need in order to live life successfully, to live it victoriously. That we had everything, and that's what the Word of God does. It gives us everything that we need, but we have to apply it rightly. And that's why 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2 is so important, verse 15. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It takes study. It takes that work to rightly divide. Rightly divide, meaning there's not 
a bunch of different ways that you can interpret it. You know, a lot of people hold that opinion. Well, you know, this group, they interpret it this way, and that group, they interpret it that way. And what's your interpretation of this? You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that, knowing this first, no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That means that it's not, no one has the right to do that. Nobody has the right to say, well, I think it means this. You know, well, that's your interpretation. I take it this way. Well, it can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. You know, you read, one person gets this out of it, one person gets that out of it. Okay. So, do other categories of life work that way? You know? You know, I'm making chili, but for you, it can be, you know, beef stew, right? Think about it. Think about every other category, you know? I like candy. You say, you know, vegetables. To me, it's vegetables. It'll do the same thing for me because that's what I want it to be. No, it doesn't work that way. Neither does the Bible. Neither does the Word of God. It is what God says it is. And we have to study it to know what it actually says. And let it speak for itself and learn the keys to how the Word of God interprets itself so that we don't need to just privately interpret it. Look at Acts 17. Acts 17. We need to get to that point that not only do we read the Word of God, not only do we study it, but we are able to separate truth from error in it and in life. We have to get to the point we know what it says. Not because somebody told us that we respect, not because somebody that we like has said, well, this is what it is, you know. Rita's a nice woman, you know, she says it, I like Rita, I'll believe her. No. Acts 17.11 says, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica. It's talking about the believers in the city of Berea. In that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. They didn't take somebody's word for it. They didn't say, you know, well, I like this guy or I like that one. Because, boy, when it comes to the things of God, there are so many different groups, so many different denominations, so many different opinions. How do you know who's right? How do you know what to believe? Why do you believe what you believe? There's a question to ask yourself. Why do you believe what you believe? Whether it's about the things of God or anything in life. You know, Do you believe it because your teacher told you? Do you believe it because this governmental leader told you? Do you believe it because this so-called expert told you? Because you know what? Let's just stick with something that has simple, has basic, has fundamental in life, has food. In the course of my life, the times they've changed, what is a healthy diet has been more times than you can shake a stick at. That's constantly changing. Everything under the sun. One day, my goodness, if I went upstairs in my attic right now and brought down my freshman college psychology 101 textbook and read to you the things that they considered to be abnormal behavior and compared that what is considered now, it, it would shock you. It would shock you if you didn't already know that. 
What's the standard? What is the standard? Why do you believe what you believe? Mm. You can go with the constant changing opinions of men, or you can go with that which has stood the test of time, the Word of God. But you got to know for yourself. You've got to go and study God's Word and work it. And it's worth that time and it's worth that effort because when you have truth, then you are strong. When you have the rightly divided word, when you are feeding on it and you're feeding on the right stuff, then you can do the kind of works that you see in the Bible. Jesus Christ said, the works that I do and greater than these shall ye do because I go unto the Father. We can do the works that Jesus Christ himself did. We can walk with great power. We can get prayers answered. We can see God's guidance in our life and know what to do. When we're in those situations where we need help, we can have that help. When we're in those situations where we need answers, when we're in those situations where somebody else needs help, we can be powerful enough to do it because we're strong in God's Word. We'll close out in Psalm 138. So many wonderful verses in God's Word that are a testimony about God's Word. Sometimes just read Psalm 119. The entire psalm, each verse in it, is about the Word of God. But in Psalm 138, too, it says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. The greatest of God's works is His Word, and that's what He's given to us so that we could be strong. The greatest of all the things He's placed on this earth is His Word, and that's why it's worth everything else. You can't bring me down, the Word is on my mind.